Welcome to Beyond Toast, Episode 8, After All. Welcome to Beyond Toast. I'm Mike Weston, and this is the podcast where Toastmasters indulge their two greatest passions, food and language. And I'd like to start this week's episode with a reading. The Cookie Thief by Valerie Cox. A woman was waiting at an airport one night with several long hours before her flight. She hunted for a book in the airport shops, bought a bag of cookies and found a place to drop. She was engrossed in her book when she happened to see that the man sitting beside her, as bold as could be, grabbed a cookie or two from the bag in between, which she tried to ignore to avoid a scene. So she munched the cookies and watched the clock as the gutsy cookie thief diminished her stock. She was getting more irritated as the minutes ticked by, thinking, if I wasn't so nice, I would blacken his eye. With each cookie she took, he took one too. When only one was left, she wondered what he would do. With a smile on his face and a nervous laugh, he took the last cookie and broke it in half. He offered her half as he ate the other. She snatched it from him and thought, Oh brother, this guy has some nerve and he's also rude. Why, he didn't even show any gratitude. She had never known when she had been so galled, and sighed with relief when her flight was called. She gathered her belongings and headed to the gate, refusing to look back at the thieving ingrate. She boarded the plane and sank in her seat. Then she sought her book, which was almost complete. As she reached in her baggage, she gasped with surprise. There was her bag of cookies in front of her eyes. If mine are here, she moaned in despair, the others were his, and he tried to share. Too late to apologise, she realised with grief that she was the rude one, the ingrate, the thief. What's this? Has someone stolen my segment? Who could it be? Perhaps it's time to introduce our guest, Sharon White. Hello, Sharon. Hi, Mike. Thank you for inviting me onto your podcast. I'm really excited to be here. So greetings from Cork to all of you in London. Fantastic. Great to have you. And you're coming through loud and clear. So, Sean, tell us something about yourself. Well, I am an administrator for the Child and Adolescent Mental Health Team Southley 2 in Cork for the last number of years. And I really enjoy my job. Outside of my job... I went back to college a couple of years ago because I'm passionate about the area of communication and interpersonal communication and relationship studies. So I did that on the side and I graduated over a year ago. So I've been busy. It definitely sounds it. What got you into Toastmasters? Well, it was while I was doing my college course, there was constant talk about the fear of public speaking because people had to do presentations. And I was quite curious as to what is this fear all about? Is it rejection? Is it from evolution? Do you know if you were rejected from the tribe? Were you able to survive on your own? 
Um, who knows? So I joined Toastmasters with a curiosity and the Cork Toastmasters, they were founded in 1967. And I found them to be a very inclusive group, very supportive and very encouraging. And in a very short space of time, I did a competition last year. I came third in the humorous speech contest. This year, I'm vice president education. So that's going to be a new challenge for me. Impressive start. You know, you've gone from almost zero to, to 60 in no time at all. This was kind of in the back of my head because in college we spoke about our comfort zone, Mike, and there's a great diagram that describes stepping out of our comfort zone because most of us live in it. And when we're living in our comfort zone, we're really not reaching our full potential and we're stopping ourselves from doing things that we're passionate about. So after you step out of your comfort zone, you're in the fear zone, which I was last year doing the contest. And then you move from the fear zone into the learning zone which I'm probably here now on the podcast, and then on to the growth zone. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel great that we're part of this learning experience. That's very much what this podcast is trying to achieve. I'm certainly learning every time I do a recording. And I like to think that the people who come on board, the guests who give up their time are, are learning along with me. So, so you said Bork Toastmasters Club's got a rich heritage going back to the 60s. Yes, so it was founded in 1967, I believe. And what's interesting is at the time, I don't know exactly where they were. They were probably in a hotel or a bar or something, but there was no women allowed in Toastmasters until 1973. God, that was a bad idea. <laughs> How did that happen? <laughs> uh, I can imagine it was quite a quiet club from 1967 to 1973. And then when women joined in, that's when the real fun started. Exactly. I, I don't think you can call yourself a decent Toastmaster if you're not talking in front of real audiences. <laughs> exactly. I'm delighted that, yeah, women were finally low join and we meet in the Kingsley Hotel at every second Tuesday night from 8 until 10, obviously pre-COVID. But I'll let you know what we're going to be doing moving forward in September. We'll probably be online or physical. We're not sure yet, actually. We're talking about it at the moment. It's certainly interesting to see how clubs are adapting to the, the change particularly as this is likely to be a major part of our lives moving forward. Everything is going to be moving online. There's going to be more telepresence. So I think it's great that Toastmasters is allowing us to gather some of those skills as we go. It's great to meet other people though, Mike. I wouldn't have met you only for this, you know. I suppose I do miss the physical meetings because the challenge is standing in front of an audience. It's not the same online. So it's about finding a balance and hopefully we figure these out as we move forward. Sounds great to me. And speaking of moving forward, I think it's time to move on to our first segment of this episode, which is food memories. And this is about these memories that just stick in your head and can't be removed and, and they become the benchmark about which all other foods are judged. So Sharon, what's your favourite food memory? from Cork as you know my father's a Cork man but my mother is a Galway woman and every summer we used to go to rural Galway it was a village called Calimer and I used to live there for two months every summer I was living in the city from September to May and then I'm in the country 
along with picking berries and, and all that and the apple tree, what was fascinating for me was when it rained heavily and you'd go out into the field the next day, the mushrooms had grown overnight, it seemed. And they were big and fresh. So you'd go picking them. But you had to be careful that you didn't want the ones that were near the cow dung, you know. <laughs> so uh, you wanted a clean one. So we'd pick the mushrooms and then bring them back to the house, wash them and put them under the grill. And I'll never forget the juice that came out of those freshly plucked mushrooms will live with me forever. Well, that, that's fantastic. I love mushrooms, but I would never summon up the courage to pick my own because there are so many less healthy and sort of poisonous ones. Are you talking about the magic ones? Well, there's that as well. (laughs) I never came across them. I don't know whether to say fortunately or unfortunately, but I I was clean, perfect clean white mushrooms under the grill. There was that crazy time with all the fairies, but you don't like to talk about that. (laughs) Mushrooms by Sylvia Plath. Overnight, very whitely, discreetly, very quietly, our toes, our noses, take a hold on the loam, acquire the air. Nobody sees us, stops us, betrays us, the small grains make room. Soft fists insist upon heaving the needles, the leafy bedding, even the paving, our hammers, our rams. Earless and eyeless, perfectly voiceless, widen the crannies, shoulder through holes. We diet on water, on crumbs of shadow, bland-mannered, asking little or nothing. So many of us, so many of us, we are shells, we are tables, we are meek, we are edible. Nudgers and shovers, in spite of ourselves, Our kind multiplies. We shall, by morning, inherit the earth. Our foot's in the door. I had a colleague when I worked in Aberdeen. Apparently there were lots of chanterelles, mushrooms, all around Aberdeen area. It was all secret locations. A group of them would go off and pick them. But I was always just terrified that you would end up picking something poisonous. When you don't know them, I suppose you have to be careful. But for sure, the field outside, that house was... Perfect mushrooms. It's also the joy of the, the food memories. It's something so simple, but it's also it's also tied into that experience of childhood, that experience of a time you'll never have again, and something that you can only kind of look back at with fondness and, and never really repeat in the same way. Exactly, yeah. So fond memories of living in the country and the city. So I've been very lucky. I doing best of both worlds. Exactly. But sometimes you can't have the best of both worlds. You have to settle... And when you're settling, there's nothing that makes that settling process better than a wee bit of comfort food. So Uh, Sharon, what comfort food would you turn to? Well, I like the one-pot wonder idea, you know. I do love doing a chilli con carne with dark chocolate melted inside it. And I love doing a spaghetti bolognese and then just shaving a load of parmesan on top of it afterwards. That bowl of wonder January to December whatever time of the year the chili con carne would have a drizzle of lime juice over it so it's the fun of making it as well is comforting you know I, I'm with you on that I mean I'm one of these people who loves to cook for other people but left alone I'll just drag something awful out of the fridge some ready meal or something else 
but I've got a guest or for my partner, I'll put out all the stops, all sorts of flavours, kind of cheese drizzled over everything. And I, I think that's that's almost more comforting, isn't it? You're doing something for someone else. Yes, exactly. It, you've got a kind of a project going on. You know, when it's for yourself, it's a, what's the point in putting on a stew? But when you're cooking for others, and it's such a lovely moment when people appreciate the food you've cooked, and I've had many guests up to this house and dinner parties over the years, you know, and it's, you know, clean plates and they really do appreciate being fed. <laughs> well, it's a sign of a good guest that they appreciate being fed, that's for sure. Inviting a friend to supper by Ben Johnson. Tonight, grave sir, both my poor house and I do equally desire your company. Not that we think us worthy such a guest, but that your worth will dignify our feast with those that come whose grace may make that seem something which else could hope for no esteem. It is the fair acceptance, sir, creates, the entertainment perfect, not the cates. Yet shall you have to rectify your palate, an olive capers or some better salad, ushering the mutton with a short-legged hen, if we can get her full of eggs, and then lemons and wine for sauce, to these a coney is not to be despaired of for our money, and though foul be scarce, yet there are clerks, the sky not falling thinks we may have larks. I'll tell you more, and lie, so you will come, of partridge, pheasant, woodcock, of which some may yet be there, and Godwit, if we can, nat, rail, and rough too, who, sir, my man, shall read a piece of Virgil, Tacitus, Livy, or some better book to us, of which we will speak our minds amidst our meat and I'll profess no verses to repeat. To this, if aught appear which I know not of, that will the pastry not of my paper show of, the dest of cheese and fruit there will be. But that which most doth take my muse and me is a pure cup of rich canary wine, which is the mermaid's now, but shall be mine, of which had Horace or Anacron tasted, their lives as so their lines till now had lasted, tobacco, nectar, or the thespian spring, are all but Luther's beer to this I sing. Of this we shall sup free, but moderately, and we shall have no pulley or parrot by, nor shall our cups make any guilty men, but at our parting we shall be as when we innocently met, no simple word that shall be uttered at our mirthful board shall make us sad next morning or affright the liberty that we'll enjoy tonight. And, and they don't, probably don't get invited back if they don't so some of <laughs> No, well. Everyone is invited to my house if they want. <laughs> well, I, I might hold you to that if I find Absolutely, myself. Absolutely, Mike. You would love it. Absolutely. It's a I'm beautiful sure. part of Ireland. I'm sure I would. I've sadly not seen as much of Ireland as I would like. Annoyingly, I had, when I was doing my PhD, two of my office mates were from Cork. They were interesting characters. They never really talked about it, or maybe I didn't ask the right questions. But yes, it's always seemed like a really interesting place to go and visit. I feel so privileged and lucky to live in Cork City because I live in the city but a 40 minute drive will take me to many many beaches which is unusual really in some cities you'd have to travel many miles to go to a beach so London for example exactly (laughs) that's probably what I'm thinking that's that's very much yes I'm trying to think where the nearest beach of note have to kind of head towards the south coast yeah, about yeah. two-hour drive, maybe? or Yeah, and the problem is that even after all that, it would be, I think, or half of London would be there in front of me, and uh, <laughs> that's, that does not sound like a feeling at all. No. Well, come to Cork. 
<laughs> solves all your problems. Well, I think that's a definite call to action, and I'm sure your check from the Cork Tourist Board is on its way. <laughs> and, and if they wish to sponsor this episode, our, our, our rates are quite achievable. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of rates, what am I rated highly in this week's Mike's Eat of the Week? This week, I had been feeling quite under the weather. A head cold which had settled into my chest. This meant my usual drive to get up and go and find new recipes and try new things had all but evaporated, leaving me flopped on the couch, wallowing in self-pity. As I languidly leafed through the takeaway options, my eyes were drawn to one in particular. Fish and chips. Now, despite living on an island and having worked in some of the best fish-producing areas of Scotland, it took me a long time to come round to the idea of fish and chips. In truth, I was perfectly comfortable with the idea of chips, and very much a fan, but fish, on the other hand, I had mixed feelings about. I believe this must have stemmed from growing up by the River Clyde, which in those days was a very industrial and commercial river, and heavily polluted, and the thought of eating something that lived in there did nothing for me. Indeed, it took a decade-long campaign by my parents and my partner to convince me of the merits of fish. And so, as I bit into that crisp batter and felt the soft, flaky fish dissolve in my mouth, it conjured up comforting memories of fish suppers by the seaside after a long walk or a fish supper shared in an alleyway to hide away from the rain on a cold Scottish night. And these combined with the ageless joy of eating firm chunks of fried potato, all drizzled with a hot chilli sauce to cut through the grease and warm the very fibres of your being, was very much the indulgence I needed to boost my mood and set me onto the road to recovery which more than makes it an eat worthy of note. So Sharon, you said you quite enjoyed putting together a dinner party. So this is your opportunity to address that eternal question that if you could put together a fantasy meal for four, so that's three guests, including yourself, you know, alive, dead or, or fictitious from the past, present or future, who would you choose, where would you go and what would you eat? Well, very interesting. So I picked my first guest to be Vincent van Gogh, or Van Gogh, as he's known as, because I was very inspired by his paintings when I went to Amsterdam a year or two ago with my mother and my sister. I fell in love with the potato eaters painting, if you're familiar with it. It's a very dark painting and people are sat around the kitchen table and they're paupers. You could see the welts in their hands from being out in the fields all day. But he brilliantly drew this potato, the steam coming up. And the only light in the picture is above their heads. And it reminded me a little bit of the country in Galway when I grew up. You'd go to people's houses and there was always a big pot of potatoes on the range in their skins. So there's Vincent. I also wanted to chat to him about how he was doing. And then I was going to bring Anthony Hopkins along because of his role in Silence of the Lambs. 
I was trying to think, would the two of them get on? They're both quite creative. I'd probably ask Anthony not to order the fava beans and Chianti this time around. (laughs) And my third guest is going to be Emma Thompson. The reason why I picked Emma Thompson is I loved her piece in the Love Actually movie when she discovered the love heart pendant wasn't going to be her gift. There was a question whether her husband was having an affair. And she took herself off upstairs and had a good cry in in the bedroom. I suppose the reason why I picked Emma Thompson as well was because of her part with Anthony Hopkins in the movie The Remains of the Day, which was stunningly put together. Their relationship was so strong and they had a great connection. And now we're all waiting for them to fall in love because they've already fallen in love, but they haven't said it. But because of his devotion to his job as a head butler, he rejects her love. So sad. So I kind of want to bring them back together there. I think that's a great combination as characters and as individuals. The history that they can bring to life. I mean, Anthony Hopkins has been in so many different films, as is Emma Thompson. They're both accomplished actors. The stories they could tell. And Vincent van Gogh, yes. Again, he's the quintessential tortured artist. He is. Incredibly talented. I can't bring the potato eaters to mind because as soon as you said Vincent van Gogh, my mind was taken to Starry Starry Night. Yes, or the Almond Blossom. That's a very popular one. But this one, it really touched me, this painting. He was in such a lot of pain, a mental illness. He was reaching out and writing. He was a wonderful man to be able to paint 2,000 paintings in a, a decade or two. Fascinating. And did he ever think he was going to be that famous around the world? It'd be fascinating to see how he would respond, given how tortured he was. Would the knowledge of his success, would you see that as a blessing and a, and a real comfort, a celebration of his achievements, or would it be you know, extra pressure on him? Who's to say? But, but anyway, that makes for a really exciting meal. So where would you take these people? What sort of location would fit for this group? Well, I thought about it, and I can't get Greece out of my mind for some reason, because we're going to go on a yacht first, you know? Mm-hmm. And the yacht is going to bring us to a nice harbour area where there's a restaurant overlooking the harbour. I would like it to be more tea time, sunsetty, a fish restaurant, lots of tapas, olives, local produce, wine, and hopefully everybody will enjoy themselves. That sounds perfect. The mental picture you're creating there is absolutely gorgeous. Boats gliding by, the, the soft winds, the, the scents from around the place being blown up. And Greece is lovely as well. Yeah, and the purple and the orange sunset. And I'll probably give Vincent some crayons. Again, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Starry Starry Night springs to mind with all those incredible blues and blacks. And I imagine what he could create from that, probably just from the remains of uh, the meal itself, would be quite incredible. Yeah, with Anthony and Emma in the background, you see. Perfect. <laughs> Absolutely fantastic. Now, that's great. The only problem is... In every dinner party, there is always one guest who makes the conversation stray into one of the three taboo topics, and that's sex, religion, or politics. And I'm afraid the fates have chosen you to be that bad guest. So which of those three topics would you choose, and why? Well, we can't talk about sex, politics, and religion in Toastmasters, as you know, this is a fundamental rule. But if I was to be that bad guest... I'm going to pick the topic that's most fun. I don't think religion is fun. I don't think politics are particularly fun. But definitely sex. We could have a lot of fun talking about sex, myself and Vincent and Emma and Anthony. 
So there you go. Well, I would I would love to ask more questions on that, but I feel that my explicit rating might take a bit. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so, so I'm I'm just going to have to. You'll say have it. to yeah. park it there. <laughs> exactly. We'll we'll have to stop with that one and just say that I'm pretty sure there would be some really engaging discussions. But <laughs> but as ever, you know, engaging as discussions as these maze, uh, I'm sure blood pressure would rise and eventually you would find yourself ejected from that illustrious group. You would be making your way down the, the cold Greek streets looking for somewhere to drown your sorrows. And in this moment of utter desolation, what guilty pleasure might you turn to to try and lift your mood somewhat? Well, I'd probably walk to the next restaurant, Mike, and order a massive cheese platter with all your olives and maybe some sliced fruits, apples, cheddar, blue cheese, everything, and a bottle of wine and reflect on what have I done to these people. Maybe just wonder, should I apologise tomorrow or send a text or something when Vincent wouldn't have a phone, I suppose. But I'm enjoying my cheese <laughs> There's just something in the way you say that and the fact that we couldn't get into the topic deeply that just makes my eyebrows raise. <laughs> so, yes, Sorry, so, it, No, no, no. It, it sounds like it was the guiltiest of guilty pleasures and a cheese board at the end of the oh, day yeah. is, is, oh, is yeah. definitely the answer to so many of life's problems. Yeah, some just, crackers, you know, a nice salty cracker, multi-grain cracker with some strawberries, grapes. I remember going to a really nice restaurant in, in France that had this fantastic cheese board. It was all these you know, really quite rare and exciting cheeses and just made my week that entire experience. So yeah, I think a cheese board is definitely, given how bad, fatty and you know <laughs> cheese is, but it's just so lovely. It is very much, in my mind, the epitome of a guilty pleasure. It's something you know is bad for you, but you just can't stop yourself. Ode to Cheese by Arkady Yanishevsky Oh, you delectable concoction. I love you, Swiss. I love you, Finnish. If you are blue, I still will finish. I love you, white. I love you, yellow. I love you when you mozzarella. I love to use you as a verb. I'm smitten by you. I have no words. With wine and pasta it is fun to shred a little parmesan. But it is even much more funster to bite into a fresh-made monster. I coulda, woulda, and I shoulda make a cheap rhyme while using gouda. And yes, and there is provolone, so good to eat when home alone. I love the French, for they make brie, menage a trois, or cheese for three. When I discuss mano to mano, I give em some of my romano. My large, hipped aunt, whose name is Greta, can't keep her fingers off the feta. Lorraine, what eyes, what lips, what knees, but why compare her to the cheese? Well, I am off to make fondue, so I will bid you all adieu. You even have the little bits of fruit there trying to Remind just you to be <laughs> Oh, jeez, that's so true. <laughs> I know they do help with the flavour, but, but they are just there to justify more cheese. That is exactly it, yeah. <laughs> Thank you for sharing all of those memories and for, for delving deep, deep within yourself. And let's just leave that at that. So, Sharon, because as we're coming to the, the end of the episode, is there anything you would like to promote? 
Well, I've had a lot of fun talking to you tonight and nothing particularly just to say to spend as much time as you can doing the things that you enjoy and have a fulfilling life. That's a very good promotion. I think we should all do more of that. If there's one thing that we'd never do enough of, it is something that we truly, truly love. We're always doing something for the wrong reason. I think <laughs> yes. you're right. You know, find the time for yourself and do something you love. Yeah. Think about yourself as much as you think of other people. We always put other people before ourselves sometimes too That's much. That's so true. That is so true. Thoughts Stew by Petal Pie. We're cooking up a thought stew, a mindful casserole. Compassion the sauce that our hearts impart. Sad tales sieved from our souls. The base of the dish is hope, seasoned with laughter and tears. We stir in empathy to the mix, and we plan to allay crumbs of fear. Our stew has a dollop of knowledge, jugs of experience, ears that are prepped to listen, spiced with strength and resilience. But we won't prescribe your recipe. Our journeys are made with choice. Your life's kitchen tools, your recovery rules, empowered and mixed using your voice. Sharon, thank you very much for being a guest. Really appreciated your time. You are very welcome. I had so much fun tonight and I hope we can do this again sometime. Well, I do hope so. I'm unlikely to be going anywhere in the foreseeable future, so I'm sure there may be another opportunity to check in with Cork again. Exactly. Thank you very much, Mike. Thank you, Sharon. So that's the end of the episode. Thanks for listening. And if you want to provide feedback, rate, review and subscribe wherever you find us on the internet or contact us via email at info at beyondtoast.uk or through Twitter at beyond underscore toast underscore UK. If you enjoy the readings, please do check out other work by the poets. Links are provided in the show notes. So until next week, it's goodbye from Beyond Toast. Beyond Toast.